Hey, welcome to the 1505 Club. This is my Christmas present to you, a bonus episode of the 1505 Club. So let's round out our month of chiropractic pediatrics and conclude with a conversation with Dr. Shannon Good. Students and recent alumni from Life University will certainly know Dr. Good. I got to know her as we shared an office space, and that undoubtedly led to many conversations. Her passion for chiropractic, and particularly pediatric chiropractic, will be immediately obvious. As someone who teaches this subject to students, I think her insights on philosophy and patient acquisition will be of particular value to you. So without any further ado, Dr. Shannon Good. Hello, Dr. Good. Thank you for joining us today. Um, thank you for having me. Uh, could you start off by telling everybody how you got into chiropractic and how you ended up in pediatric chiropractic? Yeah, sure. Um, I started uh, seeing a chiropractor when I was a gymnast uh, back in Canada, and I was having trouble staying on the balance beam, and the chiropractor was doing Kung Fu with my dad at the time, and he was talking to my dad about chiropractic and how it's important. So my dad brought me in, and... Um, I, so it started for what would be like a bio, biomechanical misalignment. And then my chiropractor is very um, philosophy based, very subluxation based. And he explained what the end goal of chiropractic was, not only for keeping everything in alignment and helping my dad's chronic back pain, but also like full life expression. And at this point, optimum sports performance, because that was for me what I wanted. And so I started going to see him at 14. I went until I was 26, um, did undergraduate at the University of Manitoba basic sciences, super competitive program. And um, I knew I wanted to work with kids my whole life, didn't know what it was at what capacity I wanted to help and support the next generation. Um, And it took me about 26 to realize that like my philosophies and my values systems really aligned with what chiropractic was and that I knew I could make a difference. So um, I talked to my chiropractor and I said, hey, I think I want to become, I want to go to school to be a chiro. And he said, the only place to go is Life University. I said, oh, great. I applied. I got in. I packed up my little Chevy Cavalier and drove 30 hours down here to Georgia. And I never left. And now not only do I practice here in Georgia, I teach at Life University. Yeah, it's funny how you you get hooked into it. It's like, why would I go anywhere else? (laughs) It's good. I I think I always knew, too, at some point that I wanted to, like, if I was going to stay in Georgia, because there was a couple places after I graduated I wanted to go, but mm-hmm. if I was going to stay in Georgia, I was going to teach because I loved I love school and I love teaching and I also loved my professors for all of the things, the growth opportunities and also like just the experience. I saw my professors as people, right? Because I went to uh, chiropractic school a little bit older. I was twenty six, turning twenty seven. Um, I I loved it and I was like, ooh, that is also a way for me to give back which is to help the next generation. So I walk in two worlds right now. Um, I have a pediatric practice about two miles from the school. Um, I opened up an office when I first graduated. Well, not opened up. I started doing the pediatric side of a practice in a very competitive market. Um, Marietta, Georgia, Atlanta, Georgia, the greater Atlanta area is probably the best area in the world for pediatric chiropractic. It's got... Um, So many ICPA certified diplomates, perinatal focused chiros, like 
in per capita, if you want good pediatric perinatal care and you're in the greater Atlanta area, you are very lucky because there is a lot of us. But it also makes starting a practice quite tricky when you realize that you may be fishing in markets of some of your mentors. So <laughs> I opened up within three miles of three of the biggest at the time in in Georgia um, with a great reputations and it was pretty intimidating. So I can, I it's a story I like to tell my students when they're like, what do I do and how do I do this? And I'm like, you have to be you. You ha- when you start a practice, you have to be you. Um, your people will find you. My favorite saying in the last class I teach, uh, 12th quarter class when it's senioritis is let your weirdo light shine because then your weirdos can find you because they're roaming in the dark looking for you. (laughs) Be authentic to who you are first and foremost, and that will attract the people that need you more than anything. So don't try to be anybody else. I I did that. It didn't work. Um, And don't be intimidated by the people around you and don't really worry what they're doing. You do you and you do it better than anybody else. And that's the first step in what I did to start my part of the practice I worked at. And then eventually my own practice. That's the, that's where I am at and what I do. And then when I'm not practicing, I teach everything from first quarter. uh, Welcome to chiropractic all the way up to senioritis. I guess that was the question you asked. I don't well, know. Well, I I think that that's actually a good response because I think that a lot of times when you look at the whole thing of chiropractic, you're trying to start an office and it goes beyond just, I got to be a chiropractor, but I got to design like, what do the walls look like? And what does the flooring look like? And what are people seeing when they come in? And it can become very overwhelming to the point where you just shut down and can't even function. Mm-hmm. And so you realize that within you, there are certain things that are more important to you and maybe less important to you, and that's not right or wrong. Your things you think are most important might be the things I think are less important, but that's okay. You build a practice around that, and you're going to attract the people who think that's most important, and I'm going to attract the people who think this is most important. And we can be right next door to each other and still do very well. And that's the thing that people don't always understand is that it's not about some magic formula you got to find. You just got to be you and do what you think works. Yeah, and tap into what your value systems are. So... We talk about this a lot as we, like I do um, like peak preceptorships. I've been doing that for seven and a half years. I've experienced, like I've worked with a lot of recent graduates and whatnot, just because I'm younger. I graduated in 2011. So I've been out a decade. Um, I moved, I was Canadian. I stayed down in Georgia. Um, I was just really lucky. And it was almost divine intervention, really, that I found this position at an office in Kennesaw, because there's no reason for this gentleman and I to ever be in the same sphere if it wasn't for chiropractic. Um, And he was looking for somebody with my energy and uh, my excitement, because I am a quite bubbly person. um, And I have a lot of energy. And he's he was really driven and really focused and he needed a little bit of the, I guess for all intents and purposes, the feminine side to the practice. And so um, I found this random job posting. He found, he, I applied, we met um, and I started and it was a seven and a half years and the practice wasn't necessarily my fit per se. Like um, my old boss was very, very, very outspokenly Christian, which is, fabulous, but I'm also Canadian and really conservative. So like, we don't really talk about politics and we don't really talk about religion and we don't really talk about much. Like it's, we're very, very quiet like that 
and then we're always very sorry. Um, I know my Canadians who are out there listening, you're rolling your eyes, but it was just a, um, a different culture that I was used to, but the principle of chiropractic was there and um, the heart space was there. It was, it was, the office was baby blue. It was kind of very boyish. Like um, it was, and it wasn't masculine, like intense energy. It was just very like not girly. And I built a fabulous pediatric practice in there because it was still warm and loving and it, it was nice, but it wasn't super fancy. Um, It had all the things that we needed to give the best possible care, but it wasn't, it wasn't bougie, right? Um, it wasn't until probably a year before I left that we repainted the whole thing because we had used the space up really well um, and it needed some love. But it doesn't matter as far as I, my value systems, it really doesn't matter what it looks like. It matters what it feels like in the patient experience. And you can do that in a hole in the wall as long as you got a light and or the sun and a table. If you really give your patients the best op, like possible experience, you give them the best adjustments and you explain to them what chiropractic is. They'll come see you wherever and they'll, and they'll never leave you if, if they value what you do. And that was one of the best things that I learned from that office is really communicating what I do well in an authentic way, because um, the way David spoke his chiropractic story and what he, how he explained it, this, the message was there. The words just didn't vibe with me, different person, different values, Um, But one of the things I was so grateful for is that he let me, I tried it his way. He saw that it didn't work. He let me figure it out for myself. And my words, when I found them, just not only elevated me as a doctor and my confidence, but elevated the practice because then everybody was really authentic and congruent. And patients will pick up on that more than the paint on the walls and, and the posters and even the electronics sometimes, right? Like, yes, eventually that stuff matters. But who you are as a person and vibing with what your value systems are, that is probably the most important thing. So if you haven't, like as a student, if you aren't quite sure, um, follow your gut. If something tells you it doesn't vibe with you, say thank you, but no thank you. Take every, you know, and walk away and find the stuff that really sits. Don't walk away from growth opportunities, please. Um, The first year and a half when I started out of practice was in an immense amount of growth. And I think as I hit my 10 years, I'm going through another um, growth experience, which is um, marginally less painful than the first time around. Um, I lean into it, though, and I recognize that there's an opportunity in every experience. And um, don't shy away from that. But also, if it doesn't vibe with you, you can tweak stuff to make it true to yourself. And then find your chiropractic words. What's your chiro story? How do how can you explain that? That chiropractic story doesn't have to be um, what chiropractic did for you, but your chiropractic, like what is chiropractic to you? If you can find those words um, to be able to explain it to people, they'll get it, they want it, and then they'll come to you and they'll stay because you're going to adjust them. They're going to feel absolutely fabulous. Their body's going to heal their full life expression. They're going to live their best life so they can do whatever they want. Because ultimately at the end of the day, that's what people want. They want to live their best life. They want to do what they want without hindrance and pain. And if you can explain how chiropractic ties into that, um, whether you're a pediatric chiropractor, a geriatric chiropractor, a special pops chiropractor, a pediatric sports, just a human being chiropractor or a dog chiropractor, 
it doesn't matter. The principle is the same. So just get your words about you there. That's the best advice I can give anybody. There's no special secret sauce. Be able to explain what you do well in a way that is succinct and congruent for you. And then your people will find you. You know, it's an interesting point because I think a lot of times we get done and we think that we know. And then you get into a practice and patient starts coming and you start wondering, maybe I, maybe I don't really know as well. Like maybe I knew a little bit, but I need to make it more clear in my own head. Mm-hmm. Really what's going, what's going on. So to that extent, what role did philosophy life being a very philosophical school, what role did philosophy play in you deciding to do pediatrics? Like, did you, was it a philosophical drive that this population needs chiropractic too? Or was there something about the philosophy that drove you there? Uh, yes and no. So I love kids. Oh, like I've been babysitting since I was like my brother's six years younger. So the minute I turned 12, my parents are like, great. I baby, I was the house where everybody came because I was the oldest on the street. Like the whole neighborhood used to hang out with my brother and I used to babysit them all. I'm good with kids. I like kids. They're fun. The toddler, like sassy three and four year olds that are like really authentic and no filter. Those are my humans. The really intense kids that have a lot of big feels are also my people, because I can see them. I always knew I was going to work with them. Um, and I went to, uh, hmm. Dr. Reekman put together the, this, it wasn't called Life Leadership Weekend. What was it? I think it was called Life Source. Mm-hmm. It was a, the first weekend of chiropractic school. That okay. Saturday, he put together some speakers. I listened to Joe Dispenza speak. And then Saturday night, Jeannie Ohm was the last speaker. So Jeannie Ohm, for those of you who don't know, uh, was the CEO of the International Chiropractic Pediatric Association. She has since passed and her son has fulfilled that role. And and we are carrying on as an organization to carry out Larry Webster's and Jeannie Ohm's legacy. So um, I met this woman and listened to her speak and I talking about it now, I still have um, like goosebumps. Um, apparently my 13 year old wolfhound is participating. If you hear the water, that's him. <laughs> yeah. um, I heard her speak and it was absolutely life-changing because I saw somebody who had this passion for not, for changing the world and leaving an impact and she explained how pediatric chiropractic can do that. And when you adjust a child, a baby, and you release the power of that nervous system, and then the lens through which they see the entire world is changed because it is clear and they can live a life full of expression and without trauma and in that full, like, powerful way. I was like, yeah, that's me. That's what I am doing. I want to do that. And then I made it my my goal, my life's mission, and my plan to do that. And it was um, Jeannie lit the fire, and Life University fanned the flames through three and a half years of school. We were very lucky to have a phenomenal pediatric diagnosis teacher, um, Dr. Drew Rubin, who happens to also be one of my the colleagues in the greater Atlanta area. Um, And we were surrounded by people who love what they do and are passionate about changing the world and they are on a bigger mission. And I know in chiropractic, everybody, you know, with small business owners and entrepreneurial, like there's a lot of like, 
ego involved because you have to be to be a small business owner. But the pediatric chiropractic mission is so bigger than our, so much bigger than ourselves. And to be part of that and everybody that I've met through the organization, through the ICPA has just been on that bigger mission vision that it's like, yeah, that's, that's where I am. And I don't know if it taps into my Canadianness or if it taps into just who I am as a person, but every small human that I adjust and clear their subluxation and have that nervous system be free and clear so they can live a full expression of who they are and who they're meant to be, that changes the world in a positive direction one spine at a time. And if everybody does that, then we are changing the world and making massive ripples in a society that not only is physically sick, but at this point has like some mental challenges and there's a lot of trauma we have to work through. And that's, that's how I got there. Life University's capacity to um, foster, like give you the space to figure out who you are um, is one of the most amazing things about what I love about that school. And it allows you to find what makes your heart sing. And not everybody's going to want to be a pediatric chiropractor. I, I get that. Um, but if your heart sings, I know some students that want to be, take care of old people. They want to be a, like a geriatric chiropractor. I'm like, please do, because everybody deserves to have a free and clear nervous system. Mm-hmm. Because everybody deserves to be healthy and happy and be a full expression of themselves. That is my philosophy. I want everybody to live their best life. I don't care if you're zero. I don't care if you're a hundred. Let me help you out. Right. My dogs even go to a chiropractor, not me because they're as dramatic as I am. So I send them to Dr. Sarah. It's always great. (laughs) Um, But everybody deserves that. Every sentient being really deserves that. So I started, it was a life source. Yeah. Life source weekend at life university. I saw Jeannie. She lit me on fire life fanned the flames. And when I came back to teach, I was like, I want to give my passion for chiropractic to the students. Because sometimes when you're doing the pathologies and the radiologies and the osteologies, and you have 17 tests in three days, and you don't know what your name is, you need somebody to remind you that on the other side, um, it's great. There's a buy-in for until it it doesn't get great right away. There's a buy-in. And the buy-in is a lot of personal growth and looking your demons in the eye and doing what you think is impossible sometimes. And sometimes that is just getting out of bed, putting on a smile and going to a mom's group or going to, you know, a gym, like a burn boot camp and working out just to connect with people in your area, even though you don't really like to do burn boot camp because you don't really like to bounce around. You'd rather just lift heavy things, but all your people are actually there and you want to be a pediatric chiropractor. You've got to go where the moms are, but you don't go there to sell anything and be like, hello, I'm a chiropractor and this is what I do. No, you go to be you. And then your people will ask you what you do and you tell them. And then they say, Oh, it's, can, can baby see chiropractors? And you're like, Oh yes. And you tell them what you do and why it's important. And then you have some new patients. That's how I do it. I'm not a big, uh, I am a, I'm a proficient screener. I'm just not a professional one. So I don't do it very often. I don't actually go to a lot of events unless there are people. So we have community partnerships. I'll tell you how I built both my practices. Um, and how I kind of melded everything together. Um, we did a lot of internal marketing at my first office. We did workshops. Um, 
from natural immunity to raising healthy families to women's health to gut health and all that at the end we always tied it back to the nervous system because it doesn't matter what you eat it doesn't matter how much you sleep it doesn't matter how much you exercise if your nervous system can't handle all the good input you're not going to get the bang for your buck you're not going to be as healthy as you can be because the system needs an update and that's what your adjustments are so we tied it all back um, it led to a very solid practice and also led to people bringing more people and it was a lot of internal marketing um, seasonally we would do external marketing and some screenings because uh, around the outer like outside the perimeter in the um, area there's always a festival there's a festival all the time from like March all the way till November just there's only like two months off three months off um, and I loved it but it was busy there was a lot. I got to meet a lot of people. We made a huge impact. Um, but there was a lot of hunting and it, it wasn't, I liked it, but I was tired. Honestly, I was really tired. Um, but we had big goals and we achieved those big goals. But I sometimes wonder now reflecting, maybe it was at the expense of some choice, some personal choices and some, at that point, some of my health. Um, so do I think that you as a person need to make sure that you are healthy? Yes. Do I think that sometimes um, we can be workaholics? Yes. So the work it takes to build your practice is the same amount of work, whether you do it in three months or do it in a year. The work to get from zero patients to 100 patients is the same, just a matter of what you need to do um, to get there. There's just certain steps. I, um, we tried to do everything as fast as possible which is like a super concentrated um, pressure cooker. Um, had I, when I opened up my new office, it's in Marietta, just down the road from where I was, um, I changed things a little bit. We don't do as much hunting. We do a lot of farming. So now I'm out in the community just being me. We have community partnerships with people who have the same values as we do. Um, when they do events, we help them out. What, how? we'll go stand there and hang out with patients just or with their clients. Like, hi, what are you doing? What's going on? Isn't this fun? We'll dance around. We'll do a class. It doesn't need, it could be a burn boot camp. It can be um, the, like a stroller group. We can do an injury, like anywhere that your people are go and just go for the sake of going. You don't need to sell anything. You don't need to like, you just go be you connect with people because even if you don't get a new patient appointment out of it, I guarantee you down the road, your name is going to come up in a room because that person met you and then they're going to connect you to something, to something. And then that, that comes full circle down the road. Just be out there. I like to call it kissing babies and shaking hands. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you're going to see pediatric chiropractor, like pediatric patients or geriatric patients or just your standard, well, like regular humans, right? Um, I know very few offices that are exclusively pediatric that only see children. Um, I adjust non, like I adjust moms, dads, you name it, kids. Why? Because it, ultimately a really healthy pediatric practice is a family health and wellness office. Like because you want to get the whole family under care. Baby gets care. Mom gets care. Well, why are we leaving dad out? Or the the partner. Everybody needs care. So I have, I don't, even 
one of the some of the biggest peds chiros I know, they're not exclusively peds. And I am in a position where if I only wanted to see babies, I could, because I have a husband and a best friend that also practice with me. If I never wanted to touch anything other than three and younger, I could. But I also hold a heart space for um, moms and uh, women in the postpartum period, which is also something I'm really, really passionate about. And that would be for probably a different podcast or if we wanted to go on there. But when it comes to pediatrics, you can change the trajectory of a child's life by making sure that they are subluxation free. Um, I take it as I, I take it a step back into right from preconception with, with women, but let's just say you get a kid that comes out earth side. Birth is a really intense process for everybody involved. And if they are subluxated and that leads to the body maladapting and a state of, first of all, dis-ease, which eventually turns into a disease or an issue of some sort, a health problem. And then you put them on antibiotics, say, for an ear infection, right? And then that antibiotics has, there's no free lunch. Every intervention, every help has a positive or a negative. So whether it be an adjustment, maybe the kid's, the side effect is the kid gets really sleepy. Maybe the kid poops. Who knows? There's always an, there's a reaction to every action. Well, antibiotics are not, it's not a get out of jail free that destroys gut lining. And if you cycle through all of that um, and you fast forward to 19, then you have a kid who has ulcerative colitis because they have a destroyed digestive system because they went through antibiotics for years and years and years. And maybe they got tubes um, and those didn't work. And although getting tubes sounds really like standard, and it's like, oh, you're just getting tubes. It's kind of invasive and they poke a hole in the eardrum. To me, that just weirds me out. Um, it's it's in, invasive. And I think that uh, the allopathic model and I think traditional medicine or Western medicine as it stands um, is very much needed when it is an emergency. But it is barbaric and it is intense and it is not smooth and easy. And that's why there's chemicals are so important to p- keep people at ease because it's a really intense process. And if it's life and death, please hook me up. But if we are on a health and wellness and then they have an, and the child, this child had a rough birth, is subluxated, has an ear infection because its immune system isn't strong and the canal is being affected. How about I just get to the cause, remove the structural misalignment and influence the function of the nervous system, which will influence the function of the immune system and the body can sort it all out. And then now the kid doesn't need to be on 14 rounds of antibiotics before they're two years old. Then they don't have digestive system issues. And then they don't need to be maybe on antacids or maybe they need to be taking um, laxatives so that they can poop. Like you, I've changed the trajectory of this kid's life by making sure that they're subluxation free. That's some power. And when you're a pediatric chiropractor, like pediatric chiropractor, you can't deny the power that's in the body. Because when you adjust, when you when you detect a subluxation and you correct it wherever it is in the body, and you fix what was misaligned, and that nervous system is free and clear to do what it does, crazy things, awesome, miracle, miraculous things happen. I can adjust an atlas, and the kid poops for the first time in like ten days. Mm-hmm. Um, I can adjust a C3 and quote unquote reflex goes away. Now I'm not 
treating any of those things. And it's a common conversation I have with some students and people in my life. They're like, chiropractors shouldn't see kids and they, they don't treat. I do nothing other than correct and detect and correct subluxation. The body does the rest, which is a humbling place to be because I don't heal anything. I update the software and then the software sorts itself out. Mm-hmm. And you can, you'll watch kids who were failure to thrive, um, start meeting milestones Kids who needed to be tube fed start latching and breastfeeding. You'll, when when the nervous system is firing on all cylinders and that body can do what it needs to do, it's an amazing place to be. And I I know no pediatric chiropractors who are not subluxation based. You you can't deny the presence of a subluxation or the power of the body if you adjust children. Because there's no preconceived notions about what works and what doesn't. And you adjust them and the craziest things happen. Like just miracles all day, every day. So it's a really fun place to be when you practice and you adjust kids because um, they're high energy if they're like the toddlers. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. It's about helping people. And then you get all of this wonderful positive feedback and things happen all the time. And it may not be one of those big major stories, right, where the kid has colic, you adjust at one time, and then boom, colic goes away right then and there. But you have a mom who hasn't slept in forever, and the kid has colic, and you adjust them. And then maybe the kid doesn't scream for a full four hours anymore, maybe at night, maybe it's three and a half. You come in, you see if they're subluxated. If they are, you adjust them again, and then now it's three hours. And then awesome. You know, maybe a week later, mom's like, oh, it's the first full night's sleep. Thank you. You change the trajectory of that kid's life and that family's health, period, because now mom is sleeping. So the kid, the older kids or the even the younger ones, like they can, they're better for it when everybody is healthier and awesome stuff happens. And you can ch- literally, when you change the start point and you change the trajectory, people will wind up where they are supposed to be in the optimum way as opposed to on the struggle bus um, trying to just manage their sickness. And we don't want that for anybody. Well, a lot of what you're saying, those are the conversations that I had with patients all the time. And so it was talking about those things and then telling stories. And when I didn't have stories, I borrowed stories until I had my own stories. And I did that kind of thing. Do you have a like set program for educating patients or do you really do it just by these conversations between visits? Do I have a set program? That's an interest. That's a interesting question. So, um, I the first office I worked at with was it was run by Max Living. It was a Max Living office, and their systems and procedures at the time. Um, I love the way they run their their front office, like the the nuances of like tracking all the stuff. Oh, makes my heart happy because then you know what you're needing and what you're doing, and then their um, their passion about training, like do the work get better at your skill, not just adjusting, which is super important, but communicating because that's 90% of what you do. Mm-hmm. So that level of intensity and focus is what I carried with me to my other office. And it's just educating your patients, but not educating your patients. It's listening to them. Um, you sit them, you do your, your first, the first thing I do when somebody comes into my office um, is I sit down and I ask them what they want if they've been adjusted before, what are their experiences and what they're hoping to get out of it, period. And that's before we do anything. 
And if their goals and their expectations don't match what I do, great. If it's an immediate like, "Mm, I don't know if this is going to be a good fit. I can immediately refer them out to the 17 chiropractors they drove past coming to see me. (laughs) If they tell me what they want and I think, okay, and I can hear that what we have will help them get there. I then explain to them what I do, the philosophy of the office. I talk to them about chiropractic and subluxation. And then I ask them if that's what they want. And I talk to them about like what subluxation does and how chiropractic removes the subluxation and how the body can heal. And I tell them the chiropractic story, the chiropractic story, not mine. And I tell them what chiropractic is in my words. And then I ask them if they want to move forward. So you don't start in my office under my care for anything other than what I do. And if they say yes, then you're good to go. Because then you you go and you detect and the subluxations. You explain to, if you find something, you tie it back to not only what is going on, but also how that's affecting what they're really wanting. So how do I put this? Um, mom's bringing the baby into me, right? Because the kid's screaming and the kid has colic. Okay. She wants me to fix the colic. And I say, this is what I do. And this is how chiropractic has been shown to help the body heal. And when the body is healing, I, my hopes at the end of the day is that the colic will go away. And my true hope, and I say this to every colic patient, um, is that my true hope is that I will adjust. If the kid is subluxated, I remove the subluxation and boom, everything goes away and that y'all can sleep. Now, sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. Um, but as I, as I find the subluxation, I explain where those nerves go to, what the nerves interfere, when there's interference, what could be affecting, um, what could be affected. I talk a lot about the vagus nerve. I explain that. I explain how the nervous system is the lens through which the body will grow and develop. And even if the kid is coming to me for colic, I am telling mom not only about how it can tie in, right? But also I'm talking about full life expression and chiropractic care forever. And then when they sign up and say, yeah, to that, I finish it off. I get the kids adjusted and I leave it at that. They come in depending on when they need to be in, in the next visit. And I look at them and say, all right, tell me how everything went post adjustment. What did you notice? What's going on? And mom will, you know, or dad will give me some feedback. Everybody will tell me what's up. And then I'll look at them and say, Based on what we talked about, based on your goals, based on what I see and how, you know, baby Joey responded to care, this is what I recommend as far as care goes. This is how much it'll cost. That's it. This is what I, this is who I am. This is what I do. This is what I found. This is how much it is. Here you go. Um, My conversion rate's pretty high because I don't accept people in my office that don't want chiropractic. (laughs) And it's a nice place to be and it's scary, even if you're a a new graduate. I really, um, you'll get to that point. At first, you kind of have to accept everybody because it is what it is and you want to be able to pay back your student loans and keep the lights on. I got it. But the sooner you can get to taking care of the people who want what you have instead of trying to convince people that they need what you have, right? Like mm-hmm. you tell them what you do and you kind of drop the mic and let leave it and let it go. That 
if you're just open and honest about what you do, and I say the word honest, but I just mean like really open and clear, clear about what you do and how what you do can help them. Um, people will be willing to give it a shot and then amazing things happen. I had a referral from a very, very prominent, amazing um, sports chiropractor. She referred to me um, a patient. And this mom wasn't getting anywhere in the traditional model because um, nothing was pathological. Everything was, nothing was quite right. Everything was just a little off, Mm -hmm. but nothing was pathological. So the kids got a flatter head than they should because he got stuck coming out. He's got a little bit of a head tilt, so his eyes aren't quite level with the horizon. That right leg just doesn't quite move the way it should. It doesn't track quite right. And she was telling her PTs and OTs all of this, and they just couldn't. uh, They couldn't see her. They couldn't see mom. And so she was telling her sports Cairo and the sports Cairo was like, go see Dr. Shannon. So they came and everything that the mom said, I was like, oh yeah, look, his ears aren't level. His eyes are a little off. His head's a little flatter than it. And I, so I was like, tell me the birth story. And then she was like, I understand his head's going to be flat because he got stuck like his older brother. And she brings in the older brother and they kind of have the same head, but the the little ones is flatter. And I'm like, oh, okay, like. And I was like, oh, and are we concerned about this foot? And she was crying because I acknowledged what she saw. And I, you know, and she's very medically based. And I said, so this is, this is what I can do. I see what you see. This is why the head tilt, this is what I think the head tilt means from a subluxation standpoint. This is what I know that if we keep the head tilt, it's going to do for neurological input for your son. Um, we already see with the foot, the way it drags just a little bit, he falls a lot, um, that tracking and he can't keep up with his brothers. Like there could be something biomechanical, but let's also talk about the fact that the nerves that go down to that leg also go to the digestive system. She's like, Oh my goodness, the kid doesn't poop regularly. The others do all the time. And we just chatted about, I just kind of framed the picture of, I can help you with the three things that you see biomechanically, but here's all, here's what I can do once when correcting those three things by removing the subluxation, these are the things that I will do for your kid's function. Well, then number two and number one also got care and mom and dad would get care, but they're going to see one of the best other sports chiropractors in Georgia. So they go see uh, one doc and then they bring the kids to see me because I explained to mom what I do. And um, I told her it might not be uh, a magical adjustment. And I did the first adjustment on number three. This is the littlest one. I did the first adjustment on him and I just adjusted Atlas because I wanted to get those eyes right with the horizon because that's so much input for a kid. Um, And if they're not getting good input, then it's going to be garbage output. So that is so important. Proprioception, vision, all of that is key. I get an email and I was like, um, his his ears are level, but he's snoring like a freight train. (laughs) and I giggled and so they came in the next week and I talked to mom and I said he's a mouth breather and she goes yeah and that mouth breathing is so not good for multiple reasons 
uh, mouth breathing, their, you know, fascial lines aren't developing, um, vagus nerve isn't being like, in, there's not the correct input. Um, there's just, there's so much attached to why you need to breathe through your nose. Um, and if you, I'm not the breathing through your nose expert, but there are people out there who they do podcasts all on that, where they even tape their mouth before they sleep. It's, um, but I know that a kid who's a mouth breather because his head is kind of cattywampus in the back. That's a very Southern term, I think. Um, his head is a little bit smushed in the back. Um, and just just adjusting that atlas allowed some stuff to recalibrate and open up because it's all connected. So yeah, he's snoring, but he's snoring because he's finally kind of breathing through his nose. And she was a little bit concerned about that, but they were going to go to the ENT and it was going to be a whole big thing. And then um, now he's snoring like a freight train, keeping everybody up at night, but he's breathing through his nose. And then next visit, we um, uh, correct his atlas again. And then we do a little bit of cranial work and he's breathing through his nose even better. I checked pelvis adjusted a PI ilium. It's always a PI ilium. I think I feel, um, (laughs) it is right. And I think that's the way just kids move and develop, but it was, it was a true PI and I adjusted it and it was a clunk. Not all like the thing about pediatric chiropractic is it's not always the sexy. Like if you're addicted to the crack, if you're a crack addict, it's not always, um, the best side of the profession for that. But this one went click and I was like, okay, his, and I told mom, give me, it was October. She started, I was like, give me until January and then we'll reevaluate. Well, last week, middle of December, I was like, I don't think I need to see them much anymore. Like you can come see me in like three weeks, unless somebody jumps on somebody, his toes forward, he's running around, he's crawling better now. He doesn't do a weird army crawl because he has, he can has hip mobility. Um, his internal hip rotation is better because his SI joint isn't jacked up. So he's meeting his kinesthetic kinesiological movement milestones, which is critical for his brain. Um, his eyes are level to the horizon. He's breathing through his nose. Um, and his head looks now like his brother's. It's less mashed, but I think at this point we're good. Unless I can like go in there and like knock it out. Everything looks great. He could shave his head when he's little and it would be totally fine. Um, but mom came in. She told me why she was there. I acknowledged and met her where she was at. I explained to her what I saw and that she was correct and that she wasn't crazy. I said, I, none of this was pathological I was like, none of this is a red flag, which is probably why they didn't see you as a mom. But everything there means that he is not operating at 100%. And here's all the things that um, down the road, this would cause his light to be dimmed and his nervous system to be just struggling a little bit. When I explained that to her and we corrected everything and now he's at a full expression of who he is, keeping up with the two older brothers, mom was bawling when I told her that they only had to come in once a month, like crying, she was like grateful for me. She was uh, grateful for somebody who to listen to her sad because now she can't come like come and hang out. Like there were some mixed emotions in there, but she wasn't a chiropractic patient. Like she wasn't, wasn't really a chiro mom, right? She's very biomechanical, but she understands the 
expression of life and the neurological input in and the neurological input out and how that runs the whole show and your nervous system is the boss of your body. And I explain things very, very like simply. I want to, I want my, I want the five-year-old who's listening to also understand, and I don't do it to be condescending, but I don't pretend to be the smartest person in the room. I just want to speak in a way that you will understand me. And I told her all the stuff and she wanted to get the kid or get the little one under care. And then, then the next visit, it's like get number one under care. And then the next visit after that, we'll get number two under care. And it just rolled that way. Um, never had to sell her on one and two. Cause I told her what we needed. Like, this is what chiropractic is for kids. It's keeping, it's fine tuning the Ferrari. It's keeping everything high and tight so that the kids can grow and develop and they don't have to struggle. It's avoiding all of the negative stuff. Like that's one of the best um, things about chiropractic, right? It's not something that we talk about, but like a Cairo kid, a Cairo kid has a whole different life than an allopathic medical model kid. They don't, they trust their body, which is an amazing thing. They're, they don't have this fear. They know that their body is adaptable and resilient. And that in, internal peace that that Cairo kids have, I want to give that to every kid. I want every kid to be a Cairo kid and that trust in themselves. So yeah. that's how I do it. It's about meeting people where they're at. The system is communication. Well, one of the things you touched on that I think is interesting is, especially with little children, you can't like a lot of times we probably downplay the history more than we should. Like when chiropractors want to like speed up their schedule, they cut out the history part. Like we shouldn't do that. So we need to have our history. And yet the history sometimes is where you get all the answers that you need and everything else is a waste of time. And it's really hard to do that with a baby because they're not going to give you any good answers. So you have to be able to get the birth history and that birth story. And that's where that stuff becomes really important. And as long as much as moms like to talk about that stuff, usually there's an art form to being able to conversationally seem like you're just having a conversation and you're interested, but at the same time, you are effectively pulling out key pieces of information that you need. And um, it really, it's a science and it's an art. Um, and I'm like as about as introverted as they come. And yet I realized that without that ability, I had to learn to be conversational that way and get that information out. Because if you just robotically ask questions, you're not going to get it. And yet it's amazing when you just start having a conversation and let people just talk, the things they'll tell you that you're like, wow, that was the most important piece of information. And you didn't even know you just told me the most important piece of information. And so um, if, you, if there's anybody who's introverted like me and needs to be more extroverted, what advice do you have for how to like try to work that whole scenario? I mean, it really is. I really say it's more art than anything, because when I first started, I was terrible. It was like a five year old playing the piano. It was awful. Um, but um, I to do it. You, you have to fail forward. Yeah. You, you just, I, I want to give you some magical set of words <laughs> and to be like, just do it this way. You have to be authentic and you just got to keep going. Like babies learn to walk and they fall a zillion times. It's, it's, it's the natural human process analyze, like, listen to how you talk to the people you're comfortable with. Like if, if you're super introverted, right. And my husband has like three words and I have 3 million. I think that's why we're married. There was a meme going around Facebook and it was like, why do all you nice, like 
quiet men <laughs> marry these fiery, sassy women. And his response was like, well, somebody's going to tell him I didn't get my fries, right? Like, that's why I'm around. But um, do, uh, my husband's new patient appointments are very different than mine because he's not me. But when he first started, he struggled a bit. He's a, he's a man of very few words, always very impactful. But I looked at him and I'm like, but the connection, if you don't talk to people, they're not going to feel your energy and they're not going to feel connected to you and they're not going to trust you. But the minute you speak that energy, that man, the man has like, people don't leave Chris, like they, they're, they're there. Like they feel comfortable. He's very good at what he does. Um, and it's a different energy than mine, but they feel really taken care of. But I was like, but if you don't get those words out, then they're not going to know who you are. And that kind of switched his mentality a little bit of like, because he didn't want to say the wrong thing. And I just used a couple examples of how many times do I say the wrong thing? A lot. It's because I talk a lot. <laughs> just fail forward. And I've done a new patient exam, like consultation and done like, uh, and explaining chiropractic. And I, I've looked at patients before and I was like, ooh, that was rough. Let me try it again. Let me explain it to you. Like I have, I've stopped what I was doing. and been like, I don't think that's a good example. And I don't think I did that right. Let me, let me redo that. <laughs> Just be truthful. That authenticity comes across and it doesn't have to be perfect, but you have to move forward. You have to try, you have to fail. You have to analyze where you could do better where is the growth opportunity, tweak it a little bit, try again. Maybe that domino was, was set up correctly, but the one behind it wasn't. And then you just learn from every experience. Everything that you do is an experience. Like I watched a testing video of myself the other day because um, I was um, testing students online, but then I went back and watched something and I was like, oh, I'm grumpy that day. I was not grumpy at all. But I came off grumpy and I was like, okay, analyze yourself, see it, put yourself on video. Don't just reflect. It doesn't matter. The want to grow and the want to have better words will come. So that's the like, like big overarching. What do I think you should do if you're an analytical person? First, write out in bullet points, like what? the chiropractic story is as an introvert, write it out. It doesn't have to be a script. It should, it, and it might be for those of you who don't have a lot of words and I'm not against it, against scripts at all. Your, it should be your script. It should be your words. And if you need to practice that at first, please do. And that's okay. Eventually it becomes a checklist of things that you want your patients to know. And then once you kind of have that checklist, you can weave it into a conversation and then that's where the art comes in. Mm -hmm. If you don't know where you're going, it's really, it's, it can get awkward. It can get legit awkward. It can get rambling. It can take a left-hand turn. You can get some weird objections in there. Um, so know what points that you want to get across to your patients that will empower them to make the best decisions moving forward. Um, for those of you who are really quiet, write it out completely. And then practice and it's called practice for a reason just communicate if you're still in school uh, if your school has like chiropractic clubs that 
It doesn't matter. I don't care what they are. If it's a public speaking club, if it's a technique club that practices public speaking, go find yourself a public speaking club, like a Cairo club that speaks. And if you don't have one at your school, start one. And then you just all fail forward. And then you learn. And once you learn to communicate chiropractic in a way, the nuances of doing a history and taking the history and having a conversation and holding a baby and listening to a birth story and then explaining how that birth situation could impact how the baby is now and then tying it into the checklist of the things that you want mom to know to empower her to make the decisions like it comes but you have to have a due north so it starts with knowing what chiropractic is um what chiropractic is to you in the words that vibe and then the order of the things that you want the people to know and that will help you weave it in because then you can jump back and forth between between the conversation and the chiropractic. And if and it happens, the more you feel comfortable with talking about chiropractic. And if you're unsure about it, it gets awkward and weird. So it'd still be my best advice. Another thing I know we have in common, even though you're very extroverted and I'm very introverted, but one thing that we have in common that we're both going to do is I know that when you ask a question, you're not doing it out of a sense of duty. You ask a question because you're generally curious about the answer. Yeah. I ask a question because I'm genuinely curious about the answer or I need to know that answer because it changes my decision making. So I think the one thing, no matter what your personality style is, is you can be and should be genuinely curious and that will cause you to ask the right questions if you, yes. if you're really curious, yeah. especially with those com- those birth history questions. Yes. Um, so if we're going to talk about birth history, um, if you're going to bring the baby into the office and you're going to talk about birth history, whether it's just for the baby or for the mom, you need to pause and you need to make sure that you hold space in case um, you might be the first person to tell that mom tells the birth story to. And it needs to be, you need to sit and listen to mom because mom will tell you a lot of things about baby because if mom had a traumatic birth experience, then that got translated to baby. Baby had a traumatic birth experience. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be medically trauma. It can be psychological trauma. It can be um, a loss of self. It can be, um, there's a lot attached to the birth experience. Pause. Like really, really pause. Especially if you're seeing newborns. If you're seeing like the kid I was telling you about with the head and the foot and the snoring, he was one and a half. It was number three. But when mom was talking, I let the little ones go. They went to the kids' room, played with the loud toys, and I just said, okay, tell me tell me about number three. And I, I saw her. I looked at her, and I saw her. I didn't see her birth story for what I could get out of out for the kids' history. I made a mental note. She didn't know that, but I still held space for her, which allowed her to unpack And tell me to compare and contrast one and three when she was like, because she was having so much anxiety about the shape of number three's head. And then she was like, but now that I think about it, like number, and that's when she pulled in number one and was like, this kid's head's kind of swooshed too. And we shared and like, I gave, held her space and it wound up like curbing her anxiety. When you ask and you do a history, do it because you genuinely want to know or you need to know the question because it's important for differential diagnosis. But if you're going to be a practitioner to help people, then I would hope that you are genuinely 
curious about people and people are interesting. And if you ask and are constantly curious about a person and what they need and what they, what makes them tick and how you can help them, your questions will come off genuine, even if sometimes it's just to rule out that it's not cancer, right? They know that you care and that if it was cancer, you would want to do something about it. So that it's seeing your patients for who they are, seeing them, looking, create, holding space. Yes, you have a checklist in your head about the things that you would like them to say, but you have it in there so that it's to make sure that you have given them all the information. It's not a box to be checked to move forward because then the patient just becomes a spy and they just become a number. And that's how you lose most people, regardless of what kind of practice you have. And then be curious about them. Even after, when they're on the table, be curious about what's going on and why things are the way they are and just ask genuine questions um, and you'll get a lot of answers. And it also allows you to customize the care that you give your patients. It makes them feel like you care about them and they're not just a walking spine. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. This no has been problem. great. Oh so. my goodness. I had so much fun. Thank you for having me. Good. It was great. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Once again, I'd like to thank Dr. Good for joining me today. I hope you've enjoyed this month-long exploration into the world of pediatric chiropractic. Next week starts both a new month and a new year. I've got lots of great stuff lined up for you with new topics and new guests. If you happen to listen to this podcast on Spotify, they've just introduced a new review and ranking system. If you'd be willing to give us a review, it'll help to increase our exposure so more students and doctors around the world can get to know the Gonset system. So until next time, I hope you have the very best week possible, and I'll see you again next year.